0: Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. So Haggai and Zechariah, they were both contemporaries of each other. They were both prophets, and a prophet is a messenger of God, and they spoke for the Lord during this period of time right after the exile ended. That is the time that they were under Gentile rule. Babylon had, had taken them as slaves, had forced them to leave their, their communities, and now they, they were under this uh, long reign of secularism. Now I believe we've been under that long reign of secularism for about eight years. And we're coming out of it. And what do I mean by that? I simply mean that the the powers that be did not have God, the Father of Jesus Christ, in mind. In fact, Christianity had been pushed off to the side. That's my feeling. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying we have been under this bondage for about eight years. Where are we going to go from here? Only God knows. But I believe right now that we're moving in the right direction. I believe God has given the church a short window of time to step out of your comfort zone, to get out there and to do what he's challenged and called us to do. It's not time to be sitting on your thumbs anymore. As a believer, we have got to be actively involved in our communities, in the workplace, in our schools, and so on. We have to spread the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus is coming back and he wants all men to be saved. That's our duty. That's that's our job. So in the beginning of the book of Haggai, the Lord speaks directly to the leaders of the Jewish people. And let me just say, God always speaks to the leaders first. Then he begins to disseminate that amongst the people. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of the heavens' army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So I'm going to pause throughout this as I read verse by verse. I'm going to pause every now and then and just give a, a little bit of a, an oversight or an overview. See, it, it's one thing to be cautious. The people had said, oh, it's not time yet to rebuild the temple. And God is saying, yes, it is. You're supposed to be doing it. That's what I called you to do. But for whatever reason, maybe they were trying to be cautious, but... My take is maybe they're even being lazy or not willing to exercise their faith. You see, sometimes God challenges us to do things that we're not comfortable doing because it's so much bigger than us. If you're not doing anything bigger than you, then it's not God. All of us need to be exercising our faith. Whatever it is that God's challenging you to do, if it seems bigger than you, it should be. Because that's when the Lord can do his best work. And I believe that's what he was trying to get his people to see here. Verses 3 through 6. The Lord begins to shift his attention from the leaders to all of the people. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Why? Now, last summer we started the R3 campaign, if you remember. And we are just about at the, the conclusion of it. And I believe this place looks amazing compared to what it looked like before. When I used to go downstairs in the lower level, I almost cried because it, it was so, it was a nice facility, but it just didn't look nice. Now it looks awesome. Brian, Colleen, you know what? I, I was down there yesterday helping the carpeting guy. Man. Just looking around, I'm going, yes, I can see it. I can see 50 young people coming down there to worship the Lord, to be discipled down there, having the cafe going and all that. I mean, this is what you guys helped us do. We couldn't do this on our own. But you heard the call, and you obeyed God, and you gave to this project that I believe was God-ordained. So thank you for that. Thank you for being faithful. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says, verse 5. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. What a picture he's, he's given them. Why? Why is God saying this? to the Jewish people, to the Israelites during this time. Because they had ignored God's house. Because they had allowed it to become a pile of rubble. And they only focused on their own needs, their own wants. And this led to them being cursed. If you don't get anything else out of this today, know this. When you spend what belongs to God on yourself, that's cursed. That's heavy. Proverbs 23, 4-5 to five says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. But when you put your treasures in heaven, as Jesus told us to do... You're going to build an investment so that when you're in heaven, you'll have money to draw from. And I believe there is going to be currency of some sort in heaven when we get there. I believe scripture bears that out. Haggai, verse 7 and 8. Here's the blessing. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Now, if you haven't figured it out, he likes to say this. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. What is he saying? Examine yourself. Poke your neighbor and say, examine yourself. Now, add this. It's healthy to examine yourself. I didn't hear anybody say that. It's healthy to examine yourself. This is not Pastor Norm's job to examine your life, Ron, is it? You know when you sit in the front row, you get picked on. All right. It's not my job to examine your heart. I, in fact, I can't see it anyway. God may give me a a discernment to know something's going on, but man, whatever's going on in you is between you and the Lord. It's up to you to figure out if there's something right or something wrong. That's why we examine ourselves, and we're supposed to do this frequently, comparing it to the Scriptures. Compare your life to the Scriptures, because the Scriptures are our guide, they're our rule. If you stay within the boundaries of the Word of God... You can't go wrong, and you will be blessed, and you will receive a reward. Examine yourselves. Do you know it's never been God's desire to smite us? Old Testament King James words. I don't like being smited. Smoked. I'm not sure how to say that. Either way, I don't want it. But sometimes God allows stuff to happen. Why? Because he loves us. Because he says, you know what? If I let Norm do this any longer, he's going to fall into sin even deeper than he already is, and it's going to lead to his death, his spiritual death. He doesn't want that for us, so sometimes he allows bad stuff to come at us. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Verse 8, go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it, and be honored, says the Lord. How many want to honor the Lord? All right, so what he's saying here is, the prophet saying to the people, look, you guys were supposed to build the temple. What happened? Instead, you went and built your own homes. They were being rebuked. Now here's the thing that we don't see. This is bore out in Ezra 3, 7. They actually already got the lumber for the temple three years prior. Where'd it go? On their homes. They were living in great places. The prophet pointed this out. This is my how I will put what the prophet might have been saying. This is my take. Remember the timber that you cut for my temple? Where is it? Oh, on your elaborate homes. That's where. Now go back to the hills, cut more timber to do what you were instructed to do in the first place. That's what he was really trying to get them to see. It never pays to use what belongs to God for yourself. Never. You'll pay the price. Haggai, verse 9. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. This is God speaking to these people. Who blew it away? God. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew, and the earth produces no crops. Now in Palestine back then, and still today, the dew is what waters the crops during the fall and the winter seasons. They have a rainy season, but not during these time periods. So without the dew, their crops wouldn't have grown. Verse 11, I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything that you have worked so hard to get. Let me say it again. This is not God's plan for us. It was not God's plan for his people then, but they weren't listening. He was left with no other option but to try to get their attention. He loves us that much. And you know what? God can be possessive of us. You know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to take your place on the cross and to die for your sins. There's not a person in this room that God doesn't say, I want you for me. Sue, you know that, right? God wants that relationship with you. He wants it with all of his people. Not just this little capsule on Sunday morning, this little hour and a half, but the whole week. He wants all of you. You know, we think, Oh, man, he doesn't want to see me blow my nose. He doesn't care. He built you. He built you to blow your nose. He doesn't want to have conversations with me while I'm taking care of my business. It doesn't bother him. He built you. Do you think he's going, oh, do you see that? <laughs> if he didn't want to see it, he wouldn't have built us that way. He'll take any time you give him, and he wants all of you. He wants you while you're up here drumming, John. You're up there, and God's just going, oh, that's my boy. You go, John, you go. He's with us when we're rooting for him. He's with us when we're witnessing for him. He just wants to be with us. He wants you to realize how valuable you are to him. And that's what he was trying to tell these people. They weren't getting it though. I don't get it. But I know some of us fall into the same trap. What I want you to see here is that this temple represented a meeting place between God and his people. It was a place that was common to them where they could get out of their daily life and just come in and just for a little while just do this. Can we do this at home? Yes, we can. Can we do this in our cars? No, not with your eyes closed. (laughs) Keep them open. This happened to one of our brothers. He he had come in here, he had spent some time with the Lord, and I think we even had a week of prayer that week. And he left church. He had a he was going to a job and he was in his van and he's driving down Chris Road. And all of a sudden, he realized his eyes were shut. And he felt the Holy Spirit so powerful in his van. He said he couldn't even stand it. He he couldn't even drive anymore. So he quick whipped his car off the side of the road and then enjoyed the presence of the Lord. But that's how strong God was in his vehicle that day. That's the kind of relationship God wants with you and with me. If only we would be challenged to get to that place. God loves us that much. Examine yourselves. I believe that without the temple, there would be no meeting. So for 70 years, while these people were in exile, under Babylonian rule, under secular rule, they'd forgotten what it was like to serve the Lord. And now they're coming out of it. And the Lord's trying to get their attention again. Listen, I don't think God really cared about the building. I don't think God cared about this building. It's just common ground. A place to meet with Him. A place where this church can come together in Jesus' name and worship Him and glorify His name. That's all it is. It's not the building, it's you. It's me. We're the part God wants built But for some reason, God looks at the building as he does our spiritual side. And and there can be some some comparisons, if you will. For example, if your church is in disarray, my guess is so is your spiritual life. It's similar to how we look at our pocketbook. You You want to find out if somebody really loves the Lord, you're going to look at their wallet. You're going to look at how they spend their money. If everything they spend goes into themselves, into their mortgage, into their toys, if you will, what's that say? It's all about me. But when you see someone that's tithing, that's giving to the offerings, that's giving to missions, that's doing the things God called us to do, putting God first in their lives, you know chances are pretty good that person is really living for the Lord at least it's one aspect that you can look at with your eyes I believe that's what the Lord was doing here so he rebukes the people and he lets them know that the reason for their lack of prosperity is because they had taken their eyes off of him put it out here don't be that person verse 12 then Zerubbabel I love saying that. Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. So here's the shift. Here's the change. They heard the prophet. They felt the rebuke. They realized they had to do something different. So they turned from their wicked ways, and they began to honor God with what they had. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, Whom the Lord, their God, had sent, the people feared the Lord. It's important that we have a certain fear for the Lord. To realize that, listen, if you don't do it God's way, there's coming a day when you'll be judged. Not by the Lamb of God, but by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The master of the universe. And he will not go easy on those who have rebelled against him. Uh-oh, jungle. The reason that we preach the gospel in this church and other full gospel churches is because it changes us on the inside. It does. If they're not preaching, people aren't going to change. But what you're hearing today is pure, undefiled word of God. And the Lord can do great things in us if we'll allow that to come into our spirit. Proverbs 22.4 says, True humility and the fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. Who wants riches, honor, and long life? I do. Then what this verse is saying is, Then walk in the fear of the Lord. Recognize you can do nothing without Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Now, we could stop right here, and we should all be satisfied with that. When God is with you, who can be against you? Right? So no matter what you're facing in this life, if you're a born-again believer, hear this, God is with you. Who can be against you? You know, I've said this before, I've said it a lot lately. Somebody can snuff you out. You could walk out next week and get shot dead. You could drive out of here and somebody could clip you out here on M32 and kill you. But if you're a born again believer, where are you going? For how long? What do we have to worry about? If God is with us. And he says he is. The Lord is with you. Are you facing an enemy? The Lord is with you. Are you feeling alone? The Lord is with you. You know, for those of you who are single, you find yourself out in your cabins and cottages and homes, apartments, mobile homes, all by yourself. You're feeling alone. Here's a challenge. Cry out to Him. Lift your hands up like I said earlier. Make them a funnel and say, God, fill me afresh and anew with your presence. I'm alone and I need you. You cry out to him like this and he will honor that prayer. You're never alone. You'll never be forgotten. You'll never be forsaken. God is with you if you're one of his kids. Verse 14, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm. Listen to this. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Yehoshadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. God's pouring pouring out a whole bunch of enthusiasm here. You guys ought to get this, because I can tell right from this angle, you are not enthused. Three times he pours it out. What does it mean to have enthusiasm? What does it mean when God does this? It means that he's opening your eyes. All right, he's showing you something and it should excite you. Hallelujah. 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 They began rebuilding the house of the Lord. Excuse me, the, the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies. On September 21st, the second year of King Darius reign, So their eyes were opened. They saw what God wanted them to do, and they did it. And God began to bless them. When we do what God tells us to do, we will be blessed. When you do what God tells you to do, you will be blessed. Amen. That's truth. How many need their eyes open today? Another way to look at this is he wakes you up. Some of you have been slumbering for way too long. Some of you have been in the Christian faith for years and you have never woken up. Allow the Holy Spirit to wake you up and to use you in a new supernatural way. Allow him to point you in the right direction and begin to build that house that God has challenged you to build. And I'm talking about his house. That temple. This Jump into chapter two. Did I tell you Haggai's only two chapters? If you didn't know that, woohoo! I'm almost done. Well, I'm halfway anyway. Verse one, chapter two. On October seventeenth of that same year, the Lord sent another message from the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Now Solomon's temple was one of the greatest buildings known to man. In fact, it was was known as one of the wonders, great wonders in that day. It took them 20 years to build this place. And Solomon had more money than anybody else on the planet back then. I mean, he was wealthy, and God was blessing the Jewish people, the Israelites, the land of Judah. And this place was enormous, ginormous, to borrow a new word. But then in the 10th century, excuse me, it was finished in the 10th century, but then in 587 BC, this Babylonian ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, came in and destroyed it, leveled it. Stole all of the great artifacts, especially the gold and the silver, and anything of value. It was really left in a pile of rubble. And now, 67 years later, Haggai's writing this book. Or at least, that's when this is taking place. Now, for any of them to have remembered what that temple looked like, they would have had to have been Over 67 years old. There aren't a lot of people in this room that might be able to relate to this, but Brother Gene, you're probably one of them that that could. Because you can go back and you can say, yeah, you know, I mean, you would have had to have at least lived 70 years to have been three years old. Right? Do you remember what things were like when you were three? Probably not so much. So, What the Lord, and I'm not exactly sure why the prophet was trying to get them to see this, because they wouldn't have been able to see it. Most of them have died off. But the people talked about it. Everything was passed on from family to family. Why do we talk about Jesus to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren? It's to keep them plugged into God. Look what he's done in our life. He'll do the same in yours. But for whatever reason, they must have lost this picture of how great this this temple was. So Jesus, excuse me, God, wanted to encourage the people. Verse 4, But now the Lord says, Be strong. Zerubbabel, Be strong, Yeshua, son of Yehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people still left in the land. So the the first time he's encouraging them, now he's saying, Be strong. I'm with you. Be strong. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I am with you. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. And then he says, now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. Be strong, be strong, be strong. How many of you, don't raise your hand, are weak in the Lord? See, this is really an indictment. Because we shouldn't be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of self-discipline. Sound mind. So if you're in fear, there's something wrong. You need to spend more time with the master. Because if he's with you, you should be encouraged. You should be strong. This is the same word that the Lord used to give to Moses when he charged Joshua to cross the Jordan River. To take the promised land. What does God want you to take back for the kingdom of the Lord? What promised land is in front of you that he wants you to go into? And he's saying, be strong. Maybe there's a Bible study in your school, young people. Something that God is challenging you to do, and you're sitting there going, Oh, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't. Yes, you can. The Lord is with you. Be strong, be encouraged. Joshua spoke the same word over his men as they were about to engage their enemies found in Joshua 10, 25. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, he said. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is going to do this to all of our enemies. No battle that you're in, if it's a godly battle, is yours. It's God's. So the victory is not up to you. It's up to the Lord. But we often find ourselves thinking, that, well, I've got to win this. No, you don't. You just have to be faithful and be willing to take that step to cross that Jordan River, to step into the, the enemy's land where you know they could take you out, but if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm encouraged today Because I know Jesus has bought and paid for this man. And there's nothing, no weapon formed against me that can prosper. Thanks be to God. And I'm strong in his might. More than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Be strong, for the Lord is with you. Be strong, for the Lord is going to win the battle for you. Be strong, knowing that you are not alone. Be strong, be strong. Be strong. I want to skip over part of this after I get another drink. I'm going to skip over several verses. This next part talks about future things. It talks about God's kingdom to come. It talks about the new temple. How many of you are ready that after Jesus puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives... And defeats the enemy in the war of Armageddon. How many know he's going to set up his temple on this planet? And we're going to be there. Hallelujah. (laughs) Jerusalem will be like it's never been before. And we will see a temple that's not just filled with God's people, but it's filled with none other than Jesus Christ himself. And the glory of God is going to come on that place. Let me tell you, we're going to have church you wait. You wait and see. That's what it's talking about. And then it it moves into this little part where Haggai begins to talk to the prophet about how they do their business, how they do the ministry. And he asks some specific pointed questions like, now if you're carrying the meat for the sacrifice in your gown that's been uh, prayed over, is the meat is it, does it become sanctified because you're carrying it in your robe? Uh-uh. Or when you go and, and you touch somebody that's dying and you become defiled, then does that death transfer to others? Well, it did, because once you were defiled, you had to get yourself clean. So the Lord was trying to get him to, to kind of argue this through, and I believe what he was saying in a simple, simply put way, was simply this. God has certain ways for you and I to live our lives. He requires certain things from us. Now, it's a lot easier today than it was for the priests back then because they had to go through all kinds of steps to, to be able to go in and do the, the, the ritual sacrifices that they were required to do. Not like that today. What do we have to do? Accept Jesus. Believe that he died for you and that he's given you everything as one of his kids. How much easier can it get? And stop sinning. That's the part a lot of us fail with. Stop sinning. Okay. Okay. Moving down to uh, Haggai 2, verse 7. 17, I'm sorry. The Lord said, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. God will do whatever it takes to try to get you to look back to him. To get your attention, to understand that He's trying to get you to turn from the direction you've been going and begin to follow after Him like He's called you to do. Doing it His way, not your way. He does this because He loves you. What blight has the Lord brought upon you to get you to turn back to Him? If you're finding things always messing up, nothing seems to go right for you, what are you doing? God's trying to get your attention. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Verse 18 think about this 18th day of December, the day when the rebuilding of the Lord's temple began. Think carefully. He's saying again, examine yourselves. It's so important. Christian, some of you have been in the Lord for 20 years and and you examined yourself that first day and you haven't done it again since. Shame on you. Examine yourselves. What are you doing right? Capitalize on that. What are you doing wrong? Get rid of it. 19, and last one. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops, but from this day onward, I will bless you. So God is prophetically saying, even though you haven't even planted your, your food yet, I'm telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be blessed. Why? What, what changed? What happened here? They obeyed. They began to do it his way. They began to work on his house, his stuff. They began to serve him again, doing what they were all called to do. And miraculously, their crops, 30, 60, 100-fold return, they began to grow like crazy because God's able to bless you, and he was able to bless them because they listened. They repented. Poke your neighbor and say, repent. Come on, be serious. Say it again. Repent. Say it like you're John the Baptist with camel hair, little garb, locust, honey in your hand. I don't know what else he would have had, but say it like, challenge the neighbor, repent. One of the things we talked about through this last series is how important the local church is to keep us accountable. Sometimes we need to call our neighbor out. Sometimes we need to call our brother or sister out and say, Hey, repent! What does it mean to repent? Some of you are going, what the heck is repent mean? It means to do a 180-degree Turnaround. You were going that way, come back and go this way. Jesus, he's up there, you were going that way, now come back this way. (laughs) That's the best way I can put it, because what's that way? Symbolically. Not the center of the earth, but hell. Where's, Where's the Lord at? We always think he's up, I don't know where he is. He's not confined by space. He could be wherever he wants to be, I don't care, but heaven's somewhere up there. And that's the way we all ought to be going. Don't be going that way. Go that way. Repent. But if we reject God's commands, if we do our own thing, we can expect the ground to be difficult. We can expect our lives to even be cursed. And your purses, your wallets will have holes in them. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I started, I said, Zechariah was a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. And he was. Their books were written in a similar time. His message was very similar to Haggai's. In verses 14 through 17, and I'm not going to read them, but I just wanted to read what the Bible Knowledge Commentary said, it summarizes these four verses, puts it in the simplest form, and this is what it says. These four verses represent this. Do the things God loves. Say that with me. Do the things God loves and avoid the things God hates. Now can we say that all together? Do the things God loves, avoid the things God hates. If we live by what I just said, You would be blessed beyond measure. Do the things God loves. Avoid the things God hates. I wish I'd come up with a little jingle. Do the things God loves. Avoid the things God hates. Okay, I don't do it that well, but you can improve on it next week. We'll see who can do it the best. No, we won't because I'm not going to be here. As one pastor put it, Haggai warns that trying to get ahead while leaving God behind will ultimately lead to your being cursed. I don't want to be that person. I want the blessings of God. I want my life to be rich and full. I don't want to have to struggle. I don't want to be like Cain who had to chunk the ground just to make something grow. God wants you blessed. If you're not, it's your own fault. Repent. Be encouraged. Be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. As we reflect on the book of Haggai and what what we can take away from it. well, Here's what I took away from it. First, examine your heart. So important. And, And I'm going to ask you to do that right now as we begin to close. Examine your heart. Be sure that you're living for God. Be sure that You're doing the things that he's required you to do. And if you don't know the difference, then get your Bible out. If you don't have one, talk to one of the men in the back, they'll give you one. Get your Bible out. and Just start understanding what it is Jesus told us to do. How to live our lives, how to be blessed and not to be cursed. God wants the best for you. Number two, be encouraged. Let the Lord open your eyes. Let him stir up your heart. a passion in you to do something bigger than yourself i'm telling you i'm feeling this i've been feeling this for months but god is trying to do something in this church he's stirring us up to do something bigger than ourselves there are ministries that haven't even been birthed yet but god's going to use some of you to do that he's challenging you today open your eyes seek him and say god what do you want to do with me what's next Number three, be strong. No matter what you're facing, no matter how bad it might seem, God is with you. He loves you. He's already paid the price for you. Nothing needs to be added. The enemy needs to be defeated, and you do that. You do that, not him. If you've got the blood of Christ that's washed you clean, you're the one that tramples on the head of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Finally, be blessed. When you're in complete obedience to his will, you will be blessed. But if you're one of those that say today, well, pastor, I don't know, I look at my life, I'm not sure if I'm blessed or not. If you're not, you need to go back, examine yourself, and figure out what's wrong. Is there sin in my life? And if there is, what? Repent. Turn from this way. Everybody do that. Point at the ground. Turn from this way. Point up. Turn that way. And while my hand's still up, make God number one. Make God number one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We serve a big God. I don't mean to minimize your problems, but your problems are minimal in comparison to the bigger picture. And God will help you through whatever you're going through. Even if you blew it, even if you're struggling because of your own stupid mistakes, God will still help you get through that. You may have to pay a price, but he'll get you through it. And on the other side, it's pure blessing. And when we get to heaven, when we're done with this, this raggedy old thing, whatever's left of it, we're going to be there. glorified bodies where we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Can you lift your hands one more time? I'm inviting to speak to you. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We, we need you. I thank you for the word of God, for the message Haggai gave to those people so many years ago, Lord. And it's still appropriate for today. We have to examine ourselves, make sure we're not investing in ourselves rather than what you have called us to do. Lord, help us if we're living in sin, if we're moving in the wrong direction. I pray that you would turn us around. If anybody here needs to repent, speak to them right now and just challenge them to do that. the name of Jesus. And Lord, may our people be strong as we carry out what you've called us and challenged us to do. May we be encouraged that we serve the Most High God. And Lord, may we be blessed. And may it bring you glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Hallelujah. I'm not going to do anything else other than just to say I hope you have a great week. Live for Jesus. If If you have not committed yourself to the Lord, if you need Jesus, you talk to one of us. We will talk to you about that. Otherwise, may the Lord shine brightly on you. As you learn to serve him, may he bless you beyond measure. May you discover what it means to be loved by your God. May he pour himself into you, onto you, and may it overflow from your lives into that of others. Be safe as you come and go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Love you. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.